So if you've been listening to Developers Eating the World for a while, and maybe if you haven't, (laughs) um, you'll notice very quickly, I do talk a lot about the human side of it. And I've been using terms that I'm not even a big fan of. And my next guess is the person that I'm going to blame for me using these terms, which are soft skills and T-shaped individuals, because I actually haven't come up with anything better. And so I constantly use them when I'm talking. And today we have on Jane Grohl. Uh, Jane, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? And then we're going to get into talking about the human side of DevOps. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Chris. Really uh, looking forward to spending some time with you. You know, you're one of my favorite people. Uh, I'm Jane Grohl. I'm CEO of the DevOps Institute. If you're not familiar with DevOps Institute, we are a professional association uh, celebrating and advancing the human elements of of DevOps. So uh, if you're not a member, we have a a premium, uh, sorry, a professional basic membership that's at no cost. Go up to our website and join. But our mission is is really about advancing the humans. So I'm particularly excited, Chris, to talk to you today about how humans are not only important, but essential to the, the rise of, of the digital age. Yeah, and I, that's where I want to start. So I have a talk that I've done. I've, I've done it three times now. And the, the response has been way greater than I expected. And actually, you know, sometimes even more than some of my technical talks, which is all around how the the human element impacts the bottom line. And in this talk, I, I talk about some challenging things. I talk about being bipolar and dyslexic and how that actually makes me better at my job in, in many ways. The, the heart of it, though, is, is this question that I've still yet to be able to answer. I think I'm getting closer and maybe hopefully you have the answer, which is how do you tie the the importance of the individual to the outcomes of of the business? Well, that's a great question. So first I have to give you new vocabulary because, you know, that's what I do. So we've reframed soft skills to now call them human skills. Because soft skills implies that they're easy um, or they're less important than, you know, what people would consider hard skills. So we now call them human skills. And we think that 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 really frames those skills to be something that is very human to, to human. But to answer your question, you know, enterprises, I come from the enterprise space for a long time. They're self-fueling systems. And so if we look at any one element of the business, whether it's the process, whether it's the people, whether it's the automation, none of those stand alone, right? You can't have automation without uh, humans. You can't have process without humans. Can't have business without humans. And I think this year in particular has, has really illustrated how important the human element of automation, of of being digital, of being able to move into this next decade has really been because we've had also a human crisis this year. And we've had organizations that had to pivot their operating models very quickly. So if this year hasn't shown what the contribution of the individual is, then I, I don't know what else we could illustrate it with. You, you know, enterprises now have thousands of people working in home environments and so no control over the home. 
right? I don't have control over the internet. I don't have control over security. I don't necessarily have control over whether they're children or pets or my dog could be barking any minute now, Chris. Um, and so we survived that. Most businesses were able to overcome some of the challenges. In fact, some will never go back uh, again. So when we look at it from the individual contributor all the way up to the end consumer of the business, it starts with the developer, right? Let's talk about automation. It starts with the developer who either has an idea, who has a project, who has a correction, right? That's an individual effort. That's not done by, you know, uh, by anyone than a single human. And then that goes downstream and, and uses a lot of automation and uses a lot of collaboration and all of that. So it starts with one person. When you were saying that, I just realized, you know, a lot of times when we, we talk about talent and, and acquiring good talent, and I don't think this contradicts us in a way. We focus a lot on team and collaboration. What I've said in my talk is that you know teams are made of individuals. It's like you can't you can't have a team without without individuals, and all of those individuals have their own personal challenges and and certain skill sets and so forth. And again, I I don't have the answer of how you measure supporting the individual has on a business, but I know what it's not. And one of the things that I've learned is that if you were to take an engineering manager at two different companies, one, you know, super high performing engineering team, DevOps, you know, they're doing releases. They are like, they just got it, got it down. There's plenty of examples of those. And then you have another one where, yeah, you know, they're doing okay. Um, application quality is so, so, if you were to take the engineering manager in those two teams and say, do you have a talented team? Do you think any of them is going to say no? Right. I'm sorry. No, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hired horrible engineers on purpose. So what's the difference? Well, the only difference can be, in my mind, and I could be wrong, is how that company embraces that team. So not the people on the team. They're talented but how they allow them to be talented. And I don't know from that point on, like what are the things that you do to support that, to support the individual? Well, that's an interesting question. So today's individual, I think, in, particularly in the technology space, let's, um, their talent or their talent goals are probably a little different than they were, say, 10 years ago. Where 10 years ago, if you were a developer, um, you know, your core competency, pretty much your, maybe not your only competency, but your primary competency was you were a great developer, right? You, you wrote great code. Today, we have what we now call the hybrid human, right? Where that great developer also needs to uh, do some uh, testing right from the beginning. They need to be security vulnerability aware. Um, they need to understand infrastructure. So the definition of the multi-skilled hybrid human is probably a little different. But as I said earlier, it's a self-fueling system, right? Self-fueling ecosystem, really, where the individual needs to be able to exercise their talent and also to be encouraged to groom new capabilities and new skills, particularly as a hybrid. They need to be managed, right, uh, in a self-organizing way. I love this direction of self-regulating systems, right? But there is still management that goes with it. It isn't chaos, but it, it is allowing the team to get the work done 
according to what's been defined and letting them figure out how to get it done as long as it gets done. And then, but there is management, there's consequences if that's, uh, if that's not it. It's one of the things I love about SRE. And then the manager needs to make sure that strategically they're managing their, their team or their group of teams in a certain way. So it's a self-fueling system that goes from the bottom up and the top down. And at the end of the day, it's still a human system, right? All the automation that we, we add in DevOps or if we add an SRE or anything else that we do in IT is, is part of making our jobs easier. It's not to remove the human from the equation. And so how do you make that human the best human in a professional sense? Means there has to be good support. There has to be clear objectives. There has to be the opportunity to be creative. One thing about developers, one thing about IT that I love. So most people don't know this, but I have a bachelor's degree in music. So don't ask me to sing. Don't ask me to play. It's been a long time. Um, but and of course, when I looked in the uh, you know in in the one ads under M, there really wasn't much. But if you were to pull most most technology departments, there's a lot of creativity. We're all really right brained, right? So you have writers and musicians, and and you have. Uh, you know, painters and, and, and you have authors. And so there's so much creative energy there. So I, I think part of it is, is kind of, you know, channeling that energy, but in a, in a way that they understand their, their participation in the value stream, they understand their contribution to the business and that the manager understands that and, and that the director understands that and the vice president understands that and the board understands that and that, so it's coming from both ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And to me, it sounds like there's a, there's an asset that a lot of companies don't even realize that they have, like they, they, they want to hire talented people but then they don't allow that talent to to shine through once once they've been onboarded. Then then they try to make them something different than they than they already are. So now you talked about the human skills, and I think have have you used the term full stack? because we use the term full stack in technical. Like there's a lot of terms that we use that I think you're right. It's hard to pinpoint what comes first because you say full stack which means you know you can handle the whole tech stack we say shift left which means you know you have other responsibilities coming or we talk about culture and breaking down silo these are all things that have to be driven by human skills but what is the like what is the list of human skills that i as an engineer would would start to focus on a little bit more than just am i good at react well, and that's a great question because I think one of the things in IT is we're really big on labels. So if 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 the term full stack is now trending, one of the things that always scares me about about you know terms like that is the amount of pressure that it puts on the human. Right. right? Like, yeah. oh, now am, am I full stack? Am I half stack? Am I quarter stack? Right? Like, you know, you start to measure yourself differently, and so I can see that it adds to anxiety. But to your question about human skills. Uh, you know this. DevOps Institute does an annual community research project known as Upskilling the Enterprise DevOps Skills Report. And, and you know at the end of this, I'm going to do a plea for anyone listening to uh, fill out the survey for the 2021 uh, report. But uh, if you look at the 2020 report, and, and just to kind of frame it well, 
the 2020 report was released in uh, March of 2020. Now that's pretty significant considering we know what happened from March right. on. But the data right. was collected in late 2019. Anyone could go up to the DevOps Institute website, download the report, it's free, it's really deep data. But human skills, the category of human skills that are considered must have collaboration skills, empathy skills, uh, the ability to uh, to look at flow, right? Being able to really understand systems thinking skills, right? Those are human skills. And, and sometimes we believe that people either have those skills or they don't have those skills. You know, you're either born with them or you're not. But, but that's not true. To be a better collaborator, you have to practice saying, what do you think, right? What's your area of expertise? Give me your, give me your opinion, right? Presenting something and then soliciting that kind of input and, and, and feedback. Those are very human skills. Really being able to look at empathy, right? Seeing the world through somebody else's, uh, through seeing somebody else's eyes. These are not fluffy skills, Right? These are not fluffy skills. These are tangible skills. Communication, uh, you know, a friend of mine says, if you think you've communicated enough, double your efforts. Because what I'm telling you and what you're hearing or how you're processing that may be very, very, uh, very, very different. So, um, yeah, number one on the must-have skills has to be be a better collaborator, right? Uh, be a better solicitor, uh, empathy skills, systems thinking, stop, you know, look outside your window, look at the entire end-to-end -end system to understand not only where you belong, but where other humans belong. Develop a common vocabulary. One of the things in IT that I think is a challenge for us is that each of us have adopted ways of working or frameworks or other things that have completely different vocabularies. It's like visiting other countries where the culture is different, the ways of working, the vocabulary is different. So those are the kind of human skills I think people can really work on. It can be intimidating, especially if you're in an introvert techie and you know everybody's got a little bit of imposter syndrome going on. You have to put yourself out there. But I have definitely seen a trend with events like skill up days where the practitioners are putting themselves out there because they, they do want to contribute. There is, there's also this like contributing to the better good element. But now one of the things that you were just talking about is, is level of understanding. And anytime I give a talk, anytime I do a podcast, any, it is, you have to wonder like what percent of the point I wanted to get across got across. So can we gush on Ashton a little bit now? Oh, <laughs> what come on. One of my favorite things to gush on. <laughs> so if you don't know Ashton, Ashton's is, is becoming a, a, a name in the DevOps um, market. She does graphical recording for a lot of the events and including all the skill up days events and the aha moment, oh, and by the way, I have another podcast with her called Tech a Sketch. The, the thing that really struck me about what Ashton did when I first, when she first recorded me when I talked is that after my talk, I could look at the graphic and say, were those the points I wanted to get across? And so when you talk about language, it that showcases that proves that there is many ways to to deliver a message and it helped me learn as a speaker like what are your thoughts on you know just different communication styles 
but specifically also the graphic recording that Ashton does. So as you know, so DevOps Institute this year introduced monthly conferences known as skill up days. And so every month um, it's a six hour event um, and we have eight to 10 different speakers and we focus on a, a particular topic. In fact, continuous testing is coming up uh, in November. And so I engaged Ashton to do a graphical recording of every session. And, and it's really amazing kind of watching the session, watching her do the recording, and then at the end producing the art. And, and as much as we could look at it for its visual beauty, and it is, they're so visually compelling. Uh, but if you start to look at the flow in the, in the, in the art, it really does capture the essence. And then you think about lean and you think of like, like, you know, A4 thinking, right? Where you can kind of take ideas and really encapsulate it into, into a graphic. Uh, it's very, very powerful. It's really, really powerful. Um, the community has embraced it when we share them on social. Uh, our speakers love it. I mean, I finally got one of my own. You know, I was going to get everybody else a graphical recording. And then I spoke at one of the skill up days and I was so excited to get my own. Um, she has a very unique talent for being able to pull out the key message, but also to do it in a way that's very, very appetizing and very digestible. That part, like you said, there's the like, wow, this is cool looking. And then there's like, there's, there's all the meaning um, within the graphics. And for me, it's like, did I get my point across? And I think that everybody has to, has to think about that. And, and sometimes that's hard to challenge yourself or like, you know, did, did I do a good enough job communicating this? And for me, it's a part of my job, but it's also, like you said, communication and collaboration, it's actually a part of everybody's job. We're all communicators, yeah. whether we want, you know, like we have to just understand that that is now just what we do. What would you say in terms of, because the technical market, you know, at least from my perspective, developers, SREs, DevOps engineers, it's highly competitive. What, what does somebody who buys into this idea that there's human skills beyond just heads down coding that they need to learn? Where do they get started? Like, how do they how do they start to build um, those skill sets? So, first of all, I would encourage anyone listening to go look at the upskilling report for two reasons. One, if you have any doubt at all that human skills and process skills are considered must-have skills, go look at the report because one of the graphs in the report shows the different levels of contributors to the survey, C-suite, the management layer, the individual contributor. And you can see where there's agreement and, and even subtle disagreement between the different layers in terms of importance. By the way, they all agree that human skills are considered essential. They all agree that process skills are considered essential. And of course, process doesn't need to be bureaucratic or whatever. There's a lot of ways, I think, to, to groom your human skills. First of all, you have to accept the fact that they are teachable. Again, it isn't something that you're either born with or you're not. I'm an extrovert, yes. I'm really good at talking, but I'm also shy, right? Chris, I've, I've met you multiple times. We not have a shy. little bit of that. Right. I'm a little bit shy. Yeah, no, I'm a little bit shy. And so, you know, kind of being able to read a person is a human skill because how how you act or how you think 
is not necessarily how they act and they think. So that's part of the empathy piece of it. So first of all, don't kind of put yourself in a position where you go, well, you know, I'm an introvert, therefore I can't be a good communicator. That's not true. The second thing is practice. You know, we become masters by practicing. We become masters by, um, you know, just I'm trying to get rid of the word guy. So I tend to say you guys. And so very recently, if I'm in a conversation and I say that, no matter who I'm talking to, even on this, I'll, I'll stop. I go, no, I'm really trying to be better at that. So I'm becoming more aware of my own language, right? So that's something people can do as well. Peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, right? You know, practice the art of conversation. Practice the art of, of when you're in a meeting or you're, you're conceptualizing a project, ask somebody else's opinion. And sometimes you got to remind yourself to do that. Like, what do you think? Right? And then pause and then don't ask the question and, and then go on and tell them what they should think. Right? So there are, there are definitely exercises. There is formal, like, unconscious uh, bias training. I think that's very important. A lot of organizations have invested in. There's some amazing people out there that are looking at wellness, um, because if you're well, then chances are good. You're practicing wellness. Chances are good. You're able to really exhibit better human skills. So I, you know, I do think that there's some, some things there. So there's formal training, but I think a lot of it is just practice. It's kind of like exercise. You know what I mean? Like, I wish you could exercise for me, right? Would you like get on the treadmill for me for 30 minutes or go for a run and let me get the benefit of that? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is no, right? I w oh, that I wish that I could say, hey, Chris, when we're done, could you go run about six miles? And then like, I could look at my watch and- Well, and I am- I am going to hit the rower as soon as we're done with this. With okay, well, thank you. Could you pass that, could but, you pass that benefit off to me? Yeah, nobody can do it but you. Your, your, your company can't make you a hybrid human. You know, the minute we realize that this is significant, and by the way, is important to your role, because um, if, if you're interviewing, if you're talent that's trying to make a connection with a company, that hiring manager is assessing you as much for the fit within the team as they are for your talented skills. So you could be the most talented person uh, out there, but you're not going to get that job. If, if uh, there's a famous story, I won't tell you the organization that in their handbook says you can't be an able, um, you know, and work here. It, and now what the definition is, I don't know, you know, how they define that, but as talented as you may be, you have to still be a good human in order to be successful in your career. At Splunk, we do full, what ultimately ends up being culture panels. Everybody goes through that and, and you're absolutely right. And I think that's important. So to underline a few things that you said, it's important for people to realize that, that that is now a part of interviewing. So, you know, that this is like, if you want to advance your career, this is not a choice. This is not a luxury to be better at collaboration. Like you, you have to do it. Also, I feel like this all distills down to just a little bit of introspection, not a little bit, a lot. Like, be introspective because you're right. I mean, I've been in the advocacy role for collectively for 12 years now, and it has taken a lot of practice and a lot of fine tuning in a different area. So for me, um, was very challenging. Go to my early versions of even this podcast. Oh, wait, no, I, I cut them out. I cut out all my ums. I <laughs> well, there were a lot, but I cut them out. 
no. So yeah, they're like they're, they're, they're small fine tuning and you have to be willing to do that in order to be willing to do that. You have to embrace introspection and what I'll say about your report, because I know practitioners can, you know, there's a lot of reports out there. I get it. But the important thing about data collected from practitioners and then reported um, with um, groups like the DevOps Institute is that your contribution to these reports helps the community, but it also always helps you. So anytime I've contributed to like a practitioner level report and I've seen the outcome, I get to check that outcome with, with myself. And that's always really interesting. And I generally always learn something from that. So yeah, if you don't mind, let me just jump in on something you said because I think it's mm-hmm. important. It is intentional. There's a lot of introspection, but you still have to you be you. So don't try to be Jane. Don't try to be Chris. Don't try to be the person next to you. Don't try to be something that you're not. Be you, but be a better human you if you think that's what's necessary. And we and for all of us, it it is necessary. Right. And, and see, I say, right. That's my, that's my, um, I'm, I'm also working on that, but be you. And if it's not natural to you to ask somebody's opinion, still be you, but practice. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so I think that's important because I think, you know, when we look at human skills, we go, wow, I really want to be like that person. Well, that person may not be you. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. There is a tendency to want to emulate, but really what you're doing is dusting off the cobwebs of your most actualized self. And that's a life, that's a journey. You have to be okay with the journey. I, I, I gave up trying to be Iron Man a long time ago. (laughs) I haven't given it up yet. It's it's worked out. It's it's been helpful because it's just been very hard. Although I just did download the VR version of Iron Man and that at least allows me (laughs) So you and I, one of the things that's fun about both of our roles, even though I do work for a vendor, is we get exposed to a lot of market level stuff, not like, you know, specific in a silo stuff, like market level stuff. As you already alluded to, there's a lot of terminology out there and it can get really frustrating at times. I tend to start by default hating every new term and then I slowly warm up to them. What is your favorite industry term? Because you basically center your, your events around these terms. What is your favorite and or most frustrating industry term right now? My most frustrating is easier than my favorite. So my most frustrating is full stack. Oh, okay. I, yeah, it really is because full stack engineer implies that one human is going to, you know, be Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I would love it to be full stack team. Um, and then I don't think I would I would have as much of an issue that instead of looking for hiring a full stack engineer, go find a, and build a full stack team. Um, and I, I, I then I think I would be a lot less adverse to it. But unfortunately, for people that are looking to grow their careers, for people, even DevOps engineer, um, you know, we, we, we self-identify or we think that if we market ourselves as a full stack engineer, there isn't a common understanding of that, but I think it puts a lot of pressure on people yeah. that are, you know, again, are you full stack, half stack, quarter stack? Um, and, and I think it makes us either feel like bloat ourselves up or feel deflated because it, it feels like there's some new, 
you know, if I put full stack engineer on my resume, does that mean I add another 50,000 to my base pay, right? So I, I don't like that. I think there's a human element that's, that's actually almost a little elitist. Um, and I, I said, I would love the focus to go on full stack team. The term I love the most is I love self-regulating. I love the concept of self-regulating. Um, I know a lot of enterprises are afraid of self-regulating, you know, self-regulating systems, self-regulating teams. It doesn't mean that they don't have management. It doesn't mean that they don't have directives. It doesn't mean that they don't have policies or consequences, but I do love the, the movement towards self-regulating. You know, we started that with agile software development where, um, you know, the goal was to have self-organizing teams and have a product owner and a scrum master to do that. And then as DevOps started to really enter into the picture, we started to talk about self-regulation in terms of really optimizing automation and, you know, less handoffs and more value stream management, things like that. And now enter SRE, which I'm so fascinated by. And it's it's the third piece of the self-regulating uh, puzzle, right? We have agile software development, which is supposed to be self-regulating. We have DevOps, which is supposed to be self-regulating. And then SRE with really the intention of half of your time is reactive and half of your time is proactive um, and really you know, giving SRE teams error budgets and things like that. I, I really am. I, I think that if organizations can embrace that, uh, then they they won't be they won't be fearful of it because it's not you know it's not chaos. We don't lose control. We still can meet compliance. Right? There's still risk management, but it's letting humans do what humans do best, which is tell me what I need to do. Let me go do it. And the only really important measurement is time and quality, right? Did we get it done on time? Is it the right quality? Everything else is granular, but but those are really the two key metrics. So I love I love self-regulating, um, and I'm not really wild about full stack. Yeah, well, I'm glad you challenged me on that. I use full stack a lot, but one thing that you made me realize is the the expectations that that creates both on the individual and and uh, when you come into an organization, like what does that actually mean? Am I actually, at the end of the day, will your job really be full stack? Probably not. It's probably going to be more, more focused. So I like what you're saying there. And I also like that, or not like, it's absolutely true that organizations hear some of this terminology and think that it means that you, you get, you get due process out of the way, or you get, you know, whatever else out of the way. And that's, that's not all always the case. Yeah, but you know, it's really funny, just just to add on it, because I just thought of something. So anyone who's read the Phoenix Project knows the character Brett, right? Mm -hmm. And so this was the, you know, the person that had the tribal knowledge that needed to be involved in every project and, and maybe the root of the full stack, right? Because this person could do everything, anyone, but it was the only one. And really, do companies really want to put that much on a single person or even a full stack, a team of full stack engineers. And are they really hiring the right people? Because I could tell, I'm not a coder. I could tell you I'm a full stack engineer. I'll put it on my resume. My resume will look awesome. That kind of labeling. We went through it with DevOps engineer too. That kind of labeling is, is probably not as helpful as it might be a little bit harmful. A lot of times we use these terms for efficiency, but we don't realize that uh, the negative impacts on a 
more broader perspective that they can create. And I think yeah. that's cool. And I beat up on terminology a lot. Well, Jane, it's super fun to have a friend on uh, the podcast. Uh, and um, why don't you close it out for us? Um, I really enjoyed uh, finally being able to get you on here and uh, chatting. Well, thanks, Chris. You know, I always love talking to you, whether we're, we're, whether we're recording or not. So I have two pleas for, um, for listeners. First of all, we mentioned the upskilling report and the 2021 survey is out now and this year more than ever because this was such a pivotal year. I'm not going to try to even use the word unprecedented, right? This was such a pivotal year. First year of a new decade. Obviously, um, you know, I think we accelerated the way we work a few years in advance. So understanding um, the skills landscape for 2021 and beyond is essential. So if you're listening, please go up to the DevOps Institute website. It takes you about 15 minutes to do the survey. It's not five questions, but the data that's returned, if you look at the existing report, you'll understand why this data is so significant to the community. So please just take, you can win a Nintendo Switch if you give us your email address. Don't make that the motivator, but it's a little sweetener. The other thing is, we're having a festival and I'm so excited about this. So Chris mentioned that DevOps Institute does a monthly skill up days. Well, we're wrapping the year up with a festival. And so it's a four day event. There's a career fair the first day. There are two days we call get skilled up that there's some training opportunities. There's some hackathons. There's some challenges that will happen. We're going to have a party uh, on Wednesday, the 9th. And then on December 10th, so it's the week of December 7th. On December 10th, we're holding a 18-hour uh, global skill-up day that will span the globe with amazing, amazing headliners and speakers on a wide variety of topics. So again, registration's free. Go up to DevOps Institute's website. Come to the festival. Let's celebrate the humans of DevOps because that's what a festival is. It's a celebration. So we think it's really important to celebrate the humans this year as much as any year. So come to the festival.